Open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5. Our text today will be James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit dwelling in your people, Lord, take this word today, the word we read, the word we hear, the word we speak. Lord, take that word and use it to transform us, to conform us to the very image of Christ, to equip us as we are empowered by your Spirit to go forth and give witness to you in word and in deed. Father, we ask this, that your church, your people in the earth today, would give witness to your glorious name, that men would hear and see the gospel lived out, and they would be saved by the power of that gospel. Father, we ask that you would, in your grace, do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In our text today, James shifts back, speaking directly to the brethren to which he is in right, that he's writing. Remember last week, as we went through our text, we saw the warnings that James was giving to those Jews who were persecuting the church. So James is writing to his brethren. He's writing to those Jews that have been dispersed due to persecution. And he shifts his focus back, speaking directly to the brethren he's writing to. He issues a warning of coming judgment that would fall upon those Jews who are persecuting their brethren because of their faith in Christ. Remember, James was, if not the earliest letter written, it was uh, one of the earliest letters written. This letter is probably written uh, not more or close to a decade after uh, the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And we see this persecution that these believers are are suffering under. Uh, We see that mentioned in Acts chapter 8. After the stoning of Stephen, persecution arose, 
And the Jews in Jerusalem, the religious leaders, the same ones who crucified Christ, began to persecute those Jewish um, believers who had actually believed the gospel, believed the words of Christ, and embraced Jesus as their Messiah. That persecution caused those Jews to be scattered, but we know from Paul's letters and we know from the record in Acts that those religious leaders in Jerusalem sent out men to arrest and bring back for trial to be imprisoned and even executed because of their faith in Christ. Because it was blasphemous to believe actually who Christ professed himself to be. And so James is writing this letter to those believers dispersed, those Jewish believers in particular, and they are suffering persecution that has come to them because of their faith in Christ. And so in warning those persecutors, he also warned the brethren to not become like those who persecute them. This was a reaffirmation of the prophetic warnings Jesus spoke concerning Jerusalem, the temple, and the nation of Israel, who had rejected him. James is warning that God's judgment is coming. And it is in this context that James exhorts his brethren with these words, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The first two verses in our text... James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Let me read those again. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We could spend all of our time this morning on just those two verses and more. Be patient is the exhortation James gives to the church. Having just reassured the brethren that God hears their cry and that the coming of the Lord in judgment is certain, James now encourages his readers to be patient. God knows the persecution these believers are suffering. And the promise that God hears their cry and that God will act does not mean that God will move according to the will and according to the timing of those who are experiencing that persecution and that suffering. And we all know this to be true. I would venture to say most all of us probably have something or someone we're believing for, praying for, and it seems like God is not moving when or how we would if we were the ones in control. In the midst of pain and suffering, the encouragement to be patient is very often not the sort of encouragement we are looking for. This is what God prescribes for suffering believers, patience. In our time of trial, God prescribes the same thing for us today. And James writes, see how the farmer waits. Think about those words. See how the farmer waits. 
In his exhortation to be patient, James points his readers to the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He plants his seed, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. He's not just waiting for the rain, he's waiting for the fruit. That seed that he planted into the soil that became invisible under the dirt, he patiently waits now for the manifestation of the life in that seed to actually grow, mature, and produce fruit. Notice the farmer waits patiently. The farmer has no other choice but to wait. He cannot make the seed grow. He cannot make it rain. He cannot bring forth the fruit in his own power. So he waits patiently. The farmer knows he has no control to make the seed grow or to produce fruit. He patiently and faithfully waits for it until it receives the early and latter rain. And so must we. James reminds his readers that like the farmer, they must patiently wait for the Lord to do his work, even in the midst of persecution and fiery trial. There are all sorts of things we may be, we may be responsible to do, and we should diligently and faithfully do those things. You can just think of all the things a farmer needs to do to get a crop in the ground and see that crop come to fruition. We have lots of things that God calls us to do, but ultimately we have no power to do the work that only God can do. There are other things beyond our control, things outside the realm of our ability and our responsibility. The seeds of the gospel are planted and continue to be sown. Now the work of bringing the increase belongs to the Lord. The work of making the seed grow to fruitful maturity belongs to the Lord. The Lord alone can make the seed grow and bring forth fruit. And once we faithfully do our work and fulfill our responsibility, we wait and we pray. And we do so, or as we do so, we are trusting Him to perform His sovereign but good will. And so how does the farmer wait? He waits patiently. He's waiting in faith. True wisdom is learning to live in the light of our human frailty and lack of control over the things we so desperately seek to control. I believe this. I've said this before. I believe that we are all control freaks. It's just that some of us know it and some of us deny it. Some of us admit it, and some of us pretend like we're not. But we are because we're all human. And all humans want to be in control, and we know that's true because our first father, Adam, chose his own way instead of God's way. He said, I think I know better. I think I can do this in spite of what God says. No, you can't. He can't, you can't, I can't. God has a plan and a purpose for all things, for both the persecuted and the persecutors. God had made known his promise and his plan for judgment, but much 
remained unknown. Jesus spoke the judgment. They knew judgment was coming, but that was not good enough because it wasn't coming when they wanted and how they wanted. There was too much that remained unknown. And in the unknown, this is where we are called by God to wait in faith, in the unknown. As it is true in James' day, the same is true for us today. We often find ourselves waiting for the Lord to move. We may not have persecutors seeking to throw us into prison or execute us, but we each have our own trials and tribulations. Some trials may be more fiery than others, but the trials of life are real for us all. In the midst of our trials, we would do good to remember the words of James in these verses. His encouragement to those suffering is to be patient. This is sound and godly wisdom. In our patience, we must recognize and accept our lack of control over many of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Yet, we wait in faith. To recognize our lack of control as, as we wait on the Lord is not a complacency that gives up hope or stops striving against the circumstances that may seek to defeat us or even to destroy us. The recognition that we are not ultimately in control is to be married to our faith in the one who is in control of all things. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our circumstances are often rooted in those things we can see and touch and feel. Faith is not controlling or manipulating the things that create our circumstances. This is the error we get into very often. We think faith is something God has given to us so that we can control our circumstances, so that we can move and dictate our circumstances. That's not why God gave us faith. That's not what your faith is for. Your faith is to look to the one who is in control of all the circumstances and to trust him in spite of your circumstances that you may despise greatly as we often do as we walk through the fiery trial. He is the object of our faith. Faith looks to the God who transcends our circumstances. He is ultimately in control of our circumstances and all things. So we wait on Him. Faith does not give up or give in because we do not control our circumstances. This is why James is writing to the brethren, encouraging them to be patient. Faith is standing firm and pressing into Jesus in spite of our circumstances. For he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our faith is in God who has perfect and complete love for his elect. We are waiting in faith knowing that God holds us and knowing that he holds our circumstances, knowing in fact that he holds all things. And in Christ, all things are held together. Waiting in faith is trusting that God makes all things beautiful in his time. 
our timing is very often not God's timing. Have you ever noticed that? Just as we know that our thoughts and our ways are not his, James is reassuring his persecuted brethren that their inability to see God at work does not mean that God is not working. Your inability to see God at work in your circumstances does not mean God is not working. And this is why the Bible tells us, teaches us, to walk by faith and not by sight. Because faith knows God is always working, but our sight does not always see that. And if we're trusting our sight, we're going to have problems. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. The prophet writes these words, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The problem we often run into is that we want God to think the way we think. We want God to do the things we would do. We want God to do the things how we would do them. And we want God to do them in exactly the time we, we believe it should be done. And when we do that, whether we do it consciously or not, when we take ourselves and place ourselves above God and stand in judgment of Him, He's not the God anymore. You are now the God. And I've got news. We are not God. He alone is God. And we have no place to stand above Him because there is nothing and no one who is above Him. And so even when our sight reveals things that we don't like, and even when we are railing against heaven because heaven is not moving how and when the way we want it to, we need to remember the words of James to those believers who were doing those very things. Be patient, my brethren. See how the farmer waits. See how he patiently waits for it. The early and the latter rain. Brethren, remember that your thoughts are not his thoughts and your ways are not his ways. Remember, he makes all things beautiful in his time, not in our time. Since the beginning, our enemy wants us to believe that our thoughts and our ways are superior to the Lord's. Our fallen human nature tempts us to believe we know better than God. We suppress the truth and lie to ourselves and seek to be our own God Controlling our own destiny. No conscientious believer would ever admit that, but very often the way we live our lives actually reveals that. The world wants you to believe you are in control of your own destiny. There are countless books and tools and resources and means to help you Take control and master your destiny. 
These methods and means are constantly marketed to you in our culture. Have you noticed that? I mean, everything's to make you more beautiful, to make you smarter, to make you wiser, to make your memory better. I mean, I'm not opposed to that because, you know, sometimes I feel like my memory could be better. But pay attention to what you're bombarded with constantly that is all about the promotion of your self. This is especially true through social media. Social media is designed to efficiently and effectively influence and even control your thoughts and actions. I mean, it's, it's, kind of a, it, it's kind of a joke now. We used to think, is that real? Is that an accident? No, it's not accidental that you can be thinking about something and you may search for something, not even realizing that you've done it, but guess who realizes you've done it? Facebook knows you've done it. Amazon knows you've done it. Google knows you've done it. Siri and Alexa know you've done it because you've asked them to do it. AI knows you've done it, and all the, all the algorithms are now recalculating so that you can get exactly what they believe you need based on your simple actions you didn't even think about. This is the world we live in now. The reality is we have far less control over our lives than we could ever imagine. Even now, with the technology that's constantly deployed against us, our choices are far more scripted than we would like to believe. These are things man has created. All of this, all of this pales in comparison to the sovereign Lord of creation who rules and governs all things. And James writes, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts, brethren, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. To establish your heart is to settle your heart. This implies a shaky or unsettled heart. This would make sense in light of the persecution, the fear, and the frustration these believers were experiencing. And when we find ourselves out of control, it can be very unsettling. Is that true? That's why so many people live with this illusion of control rather than face the reality that God is firmly in control. Yeah, but if God is firmly in control, why is this happening? Yeah, if God is really on the throne, if he's really the Lord of all, then why is this happening? Well, there we go again, putting ourselves above God and judging him because God is not behaving the way we think he should. And When James writes to the believers, establish your hearts, he's telling them, settle down. Calm your heart. Get a hold of yourself and remember who you are and who he is. We must consider our sovereign Lord. He has control over all things in his creation. From the 
smallest to the greatest. We must not take upon ourselves, we must not take upon ourselves that which is beyond our own responsibility and beyond our own ability. We are to settle our hearts in the truth that God is in control. We are not called to be fatalistic. We are called to be faithful. And there is a difference. There is nothing that is beyond his watchful, watchful eye or his divine intention. There are no accidents or cosmic coincidence. There is only the sovereign will of the Lord of glory. He is ruling and reigning and working all things according to his plan and his purpose. This includes you and me and all of our situations and all of our circumstances, even the ones we don't like, especially the ones we don't like. Let your hearts be established in this truth and let it settle any unsettled feelings or emotions you may have. When we find ourselves in situations that are beyond our control, especially painful ones, we often seek to control them instead of trusting the Lord with them. Some of the persecuted brethren James addressed in his letter were so unsettled that they were seeking to take control of their situation and mimic the sinful actions of their persecutors. James warns them against this, and he is also reassuring them that the coming judgment is at hand. Not his final coming. We don't read this in James and believe that James is saying the coming of the Lord is at hand as though his final coming. James was not confused. James was not confused about when the Lord would return. I can assure you of that. Because we know when this letter was written, and we know when the destruction of Jerusalem occurred, and there's about a 30, 20 to 30 year gap there. James was not talking about the final coming of the Lord. You sometimes hear this. Well, even the people then believed the Lord was coming back soon. Now listen, James did believe the Lord was coming back soon. He says it right here in his letter. But he's talking about the judgment that Jesus pronounced over Jerusalem, recorded for us in the Gospels. And he reminds them of the judgment that is at hand. Therefore, you also, just like the farmer, be patient. Trust that God is working in ways you cannot yet see. The farmer knows the seed's in the ground, and I know it's working. So he patiently waits. And this is why James says to the believers, be like the farmer. Know that God is working even though you cannot see it. Be patient. And James says this, the judge is standing at the door. James chapter 5 verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James has exhorted the brethren to be patient in bearing the wrongs inflicted upon them by the wicked. Now he's instructing them to do the same when the wrong is inflicted by a brother. Do not groan against one another, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. If James is writing to the church in his day, telling them don't groan against one another, 
I believe we can safely assume that that applies to us today, that we are not to groan against one another. Lest you be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. The context here helps us see that James is not warning of the final coming of Christ to judge the earth. He's referencing the judgment Jesus pronounced days before his arrest and crucifixion. This is the judgment that would come upon Jerusalem and upon those who rejected him. This is the judgment that is at hand. From the time of James writing this letter, still at least 20 years away, was that judgment. That's a long time to be patient for us humans. If God said to you, now I just want you to be patient for the next 20 years because I'm not going to do what you want me to do. We wouldn't like that, would we? That's why God doesn't tell us. It could be 20 years, though. It was in James's case. It was in the case of these believers. It was at least 20 years before the judgment came from the writing of this letter. You don't know God's timing, but you do know God. So don't trust in timing, trust in God. But God, no, no, hold on. Give that but God to God and trust Him. Don't think I'm preaching this to you and I don't have to live this. I have to live this too. Therefore, we must establish our hearts in this eternal perspective of life. And then in verses 10 and 11, James writes about the examples that God has given to us. James chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. James calls to mind the prophets. He holds them up as examples of suffering and patience, he writes. They endured much as they proclaimed the word of the Lord to a stiff-necked people. So too, Jesus was rejected by his own. And throughout the history of Israel, we see the people reject God, reject his messengers, and reject his word to turn to dumb idols. And we say, well, that was then, you know, that was back when people didn't know anything. Mm. Our dumb idols today just look different. They're packaged differently. They're presented differently, but they're just as dumb today as they were then. Those people who rejected God and His Word persecuted and killed the prophets. Now James is writing to the church being persecuted. And James is letting these believers know that the persecution of God's people is not new. It continued into James' day and it continues into our own. It will not always continue for in His 
time, God will put underfoot all of his enemies, including death. Just as he did then, God will judge his enemies, who are the enemies of Christ and his bride, the church. Those who endure are counted blessed. Another example is that of Job. James draws our attention to the perseverance of Job. Job is given as an example, meaning we too must persevere as did Job. We see the intended end the Lord had for Job, but Job could not see that intended end in the midst of his suffering. Guess what? You and I cannot see God's intended end in the midst of our suffering, at least how it might end on this earth in this life. But we do see the intended end beyond this earth and beyond this life in the new heavens and the new earths when they are consummated and sin is no more and the curse is no more. We know that intended end. And if we know nothing else, is that not enough for us to persevere through our suffering and through our fiery trial? Well, you know the answer to that is yes, but actually living that yes out is quite difficult. And this is why James is writing this to these believers who are trying to live this out. Job and the prophets are examples, but not our greatest. Both Job and the prophets point us to our greatest example, who is Christ. Christ was led like a lamb to the slaughter and did not utter a word in defense of himself. It is not that we can never defend ourselves physically or verbally, but we are not. Let me repeat, we are not to defend ourselves, or worse, retaliate out of selfish pride or sinful anger or any other sinful motive. This is the warning James is giving these believers because this is what they're tempted to do. Our motives are to be pure and holy and set apart for His glory, not our own. Then in the final verse of our text today, James chapter 5, verse 12, it almost seems like this verse is out of place in the context of what we've been uh, going through and reading, but it absolutely is not. It is a warning about oaths. James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, now that is a funny thing for James to begin this, this statement with. But above all, my brethren... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. This verse can seem out of place in the midst of his exhortation to patience, but James includes this as a very practical part of his letter, instructing and warning these persecuted believers how they are to navigate their suffering. James did not insert this verse to be part of a simple laundry list of do's and don'ts that he's writing to the church. It has a very real and important application for his readers. In ancient times, 
actually not even just in ancient times. I believe it still happens today. I believe, I believe we are witnessing, even now, the news that we are, are, are witnessing and watching and living right now. The war in the Middle East is a product of these very things that James is warning his readers against. In ancient times, men would swear oaths as they bound themselves together for certain purposes, especially violent purposes. This is what the zealots in Israel did. They would swear oaths as part of carrying out violent intentions. This is what the Jewish persecutors of the church were doing. James is instructing the believers to have no part in such swearing of oaths. We see a perfect example of this in Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through 15, when we see the men who were trying to murder the apostle Paul. Remember, Paul goes to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple court, and he stands up and he begins to, to, to proclaim the gospel. And when he mentions the word Gentiles and the Gentiles coming to faith in Christ, the Jews rip their clothes and they rush Paul and they begin to tear Paul apart. And the Romans came and they rescued Paul. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Those men seeking to murder Paul, Paul is rescued by the Romans, of all people, taken and arrested because they thought he was actually a terrorist, but he wasn't. And while Paul was in prison, these Jews took an oath among themselves that they would not eat or drink until Paul was dead. So Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through 13, gives us the perfect context of what James is writing here in his letter to the church under persecution. James warns the believers to not become like those persecutors, for the judgment of God was at hand. Some believers were being tempted, I believe had already given in to the temptation, to become like the zealots and by oath commit acts of violence against those persecuting them. James warns them that God has another plan. James instructs them to settle their hearts and defer to God's word and remember Christ's stated plan for dealing with these wicked men who continue to reject the Christ and reject his church. In this verse, James references the words of Jesus recorded for us in Matthew's gospel account, Matthew 5, 34 through 37. Jesus said, But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, or for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for who, whatever is more than these is from the evil one. It is not through violence that the church and the gospel overcome. 
It is by the power of the Spirit in a Spirit-filled church that is walking according to the Spirit in obedience to God's Word. We overcome by keeping His command to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, and to make disciples in the gospel of all nations, teaching them to obey all that He has commanded, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, prepare to come to the Lord's table. Prepare to commune with your God as He prepares to send you out with His commission into this world that He has already overcome. Please stand for your charge. We are God's messengers, His ambassadors proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He has already commissioned us And that commission continues as we experience His renewal each week as we commune with Him at His table. Each week we experience renewal in our worship. Each week we are sent out fully commissioned in His authority. Each week we are fully equipped in His Word. And each week we are fully empowered by His Spirit to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. For it is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. We do not go in the arm of the flesh, but in the power of the Spirit. We do not stand in battle in our own strength, but we stand in the Lord and in the power of His might. We do not prevail against the gates of hell in our human strength or in our human authority, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God to pull down every stronghold that is exalted against the knowledge of God. Church. Be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. Yes, there is tribulation, but most importantly, there is victory in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's sing our thanks. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise May the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you, grant that you live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.